The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Cricket Albertson. So today we are in Mark chapter 4, and last time we did um, Discovering the Wonder of Jesus, Jesus Makes the Withered Whole, and this time we're going to do Discovering the Wonder of Jesus, Jesus Calms the Chaos. And I don't know about your life, but it might be like mine, there's chaos. <laughs> and Jesus is the one who calms the chaos. So it's interesting in the way the book of Mark is set up between the last miracle and this miracle, there's quite a bit that takes ha- takes place. So I want to kind of just let you know, fill you in on what's happening in between these miracle stories. Because when we leave this study, I would love it if you kind of had a sense of the whole book of the Gospel of Mark. So after Jesus makes the man's hand whole... Um, the, they go out, the Pharisees go out and plot his destruction, but everybody else um, thinks he's amazing. And the crowds follow him everywhere, his popularity rises, and then he chooses 12 men to follow him. So he chooses the 12 disciples. Then next, you have him speaking about the, the sin against the Holy Spirit. So basically, he's, he's doing all these miracles, and the, the Pharisees says he's doing them by the spirit of Beelzebub, by the spirit of evil. And so Jesus says this really interesting thing I, that I love. Um, for, well, first of all, he says, um, no kingdom can stand if it's divided against itself. So, And then he says, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his goods. When I was growing up, I used to get confused. Who's Jesus in this? And it, I couldn't make sense of it if Jesus was the thief. But that's actually what's happening. He's talking about there's a strong man, and he's got a hold on his house, and he's got everything um, under his control. And Jesus is the one who's coming into his house, and he's going to bind up the strong man, and he's going to set free all those that are in his house. So Jesus comes to the house of Satan, and he says, You don't have dominion over this world anymore. I have dominion. You are the strong man, but there is a stronger man who has come and it is the son of God and so I love this image that Jesus as the stronger one comes and he binds up um, he binds up the forces of evil and so that's what Jesus is doing he's declaring here in this little story I have authority over evil I have the authority to forgive sins I have the authority um, over the Sabbath and now I have authority over evil and so that is the kind of the background um, for what, what's going to take place in, in, in Mark chapter 4. He has authority over the forces of evil in the world. And then after that, Jesus redefines family. So his family comes to get him, and he says, I can't go with them. I have a new family. It's those who are following after me. And I'm sure in Mary's heart, this was maybe one of her hardest moments in all of her life, as she has to reorient her life in terms of Jesus. Up until this point, he's been her son. And now Jesus is saying to her, you have to reorient your life in terms of me, rather than the other way around. And I'm sure there was much soul searching and pondering going on in Mary's heart as she says, what is going to be my response to my son am I going to be a follower of Jesus and um, and then we get the parable of the sower and I have to tell you the parable of the sower is been my least favorite parable because it it's presented in all three synoptic gospels it's very long and then Jesus goes into a interpretation of it so it's like it's repeated twice in all the synoptics And I couldn't really understand it. It seemed basically at the end that you had different types of soil. Some were good, some were bad, and you wanted to be the good one. That's all I could understand from the parable of the sower. So every time I came to it in my devotions, I kind of was like, oh, yeah, I know. I know the sower. And then I went to the Wilmore Camp meeting, 
and I heard David Smith preach, and he is a professor at Indiana Wesleyan University, and he actually has a, a commentary on the Gospel of Mark, which I highly recommend. And so he was doing um, the book of Mark, and he came to the parable of the sower, and he said, I want to tell you the most important word in the parable of the sower. It is the very first word. It's in Mark 4, 3. Listen. And then he goes on to say, there are like eight or nine times in this chapter where God, where um, Jesus says, listen or hear. So I'm going to read some of them to you. In verse nine, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he says, um, some people are, are not, they're only going to get parables so that seeing they may see and not perceive and hearing they may hear, but not understand. And then when he's talking about the ones that are, um, that the, the seed goes on the stony ground he says in verse 16 these likewise are the ones sown on the stony ground who when they hear the word they immediately receive it with gladness but they have no root in themselves and then in verse 20 but the, these are the ones sown on good ground those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit 30 60 and 100 fold then in verse 23 if anyone has ears to hear let him hear then in verse 24, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. So you have eight times in this parable of the sower that it talks about having our ears open to hear the word of God and to receive the word of God into our hearts. And then there are these two little parables. And one says a farmer goes out to scatter seed and then he goes to sleep. And without working or trying, the seed just sprouts up. It's in the nature of the seed sown to, to, to come to life, to sprout. And then the next little one is, and if there's a little seed, it can grow into the biggest of all trees. And so it's in the nature of the seed to sprout and grow. And it's in the nature of the small seed of faith to become as large as the biggest tree. Okay, so this is the setting of the parable of the sower. When we have ears to hear the voice of Jesus, he begins to speak into our lives. And then though those words, the word of God, if we accept it and receive it, it becomes like a living thing in us, growing, the kingdom of God growing in us. The kingdom of God growing from a little tiny seed to then a huge tree that others can take refuge and and find shade in it. It becomes a blessing to other people. That's what happens when we hear the voice of Jesus, when we listen. And how do our lives have the kind of be the how can we make our lives be the kind of soil that Jesus that can hear the voice of Jesus is just by listening, accepting, receiving, and the more we do that, the more the soil of our hearts becomes um, that which um, is good soil, so that the the seeds can grow. So this is the setting for then a little miracle, not a little miracle, it's a very big miracle. It's the miracle in which God proclaims through Jesus his authority over all the chaos and all the evil. And this is what he says. So after he does the parable of the sower, um, he's, this is in Mark 4:35. On the same day, when evening had come, the same day of this, these parables, he said to his disciples, let us cross to the other side. Now, when they left the multitude, they took him along in a boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And then he arose and rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. 
and the wind ceased, and there was great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? And how is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? So I think it's so interesting that they get into the boat and they head out to sea and Jesus immediately falls asleep. And they're crossing, crossing over the sea. A big storm comes up and you have the waves beating against the boat. You have the storm howling all around them. You have the wind blowing shrilly all around them. And the boat is actually starting to fill with water. And this is all I could think about after I had studied the parable of the sower. All I could think about was the noise. There was noise everywhere. There was the kind of noise and there was panic. And it was the kind of noise of danger everywhere they turned. There was no safe place. And they were they in panic turned to Jesus and said, wake up, wake up. Do you not care that we are perishing? And um, it's interesting because the word for perishing is actually the word that we are being destroyed. That's what the word means. And it's already been used twice in Mark. It was used in Mark 1. In Mark 1, the first miracle that Jesus does is he casts out an evil spirit. And we didn't actually study this one together, but he casts out an evil spirit and the evil spirits say to them, who are you and are, do you mean to destroy us? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. And of course, Jesus does cast them out. And then the next time this word destroy is used is when the Pharisees go out and plot how they might destroy Jesus. And so now the, the disciples are coming to Jesus and say, we are being destroyed and don't you even care. I think a lot of times that's our response to Jesus when we get into hard situations and the noise in our lives gets so we can't hear his voice, we can't hear anything. And there's a panic that comes when it seems like the forces of the world and the forces of evil are greater than we even know how to bear. And our first response many times is, don't you care? And Jesus is saying to us, when, when I come into your life and you orient your life around me, I don't want that to be your first response. I don't want the first response to be, don't you care? But Jesus doesn't respond to his disciples yet. He simply gets up and he turns to the storm. He, it says he arose and rebuked the wind. Now it's interesting because the word rebuke is the same word that's used when he rebukes the evil spirit in Mark 1. So he says he casts out the wind, casts out the evil spirit, he rebukes them. And he says to the sea, he rebukes the wind and he says to the sea, peace which actually is the word quiet. And I think that's I think that's so funny this play on noise and hearing and quiet. And the word quiet actually means silence, hush, muteness, involuntary stillness, and inability to speak. There's another word that means I choose not to speak. This means I'm silenced, I cannot speak. And all of a sudden the sea is quiet. And then he, he says, he turns um, and says, be still. And the wind ceases and there's great calm. So the, the word be still means to muzzle. It, like you would put on an animal. He muzzles the sea. He says, be quiet. I have authority over you. My in-laws recently got a new dog. And the dog is a, a um labradoodle no a golden doodle and her name is molly sue and she's very very cute but she's very very naughty and never have i met a dog who was such a barker so anyone who comes into the house she barks and barks and barks and barks and barks and she actually won't stop like she just keeps barking and she seems particularly um to do that when i come in she doesn't 
she doesn't want me there and she barks and barks and barks so my mother-in-law has tried all kinds of things to try to get her to stop barking electric like a little shock collars and choke choke um um robes and the last thing she tried was a muzzle a muzzle that she could put on molly sue so molly sue would stop her barking and it worked and so whenever we are coming over um the muzzle goes on molly sue so she doesn't bark the whole time we're there that is what god did to the sea he muzzled it he said enough be still and instantly it was still now i want to say two things because i think two things have happened into what we have what we have being said in this little story is something that is as amazing what is being said in this in the story of the paralytic that Jesus comes and he commands authority over all of the natural creation he says I am Lord over all of this anything that is chaotic anything that is crazy anything that is dangerous I am Lord over it and I can still it in an instant I can muzzle it I can silence it and he does and that's what he wants to do that he wanted to say to his disciples this is the kind of authority that i have in all the canaanite religions there was a chaos monster and he lived in the sea and the many of their creation stories are the battle with this chaos monster and so what you have is you have god coming and saying i'm lord over all all of the gods all of the other gods in the world, all of the other forces in the world, all the forces of evil, all the natural forces, I am Lord over all of them. And I can bring peace instead of confusion, and I can bring stillness instead of panic, and I am Lord of it. If you look in Psalm 107, it's very interesting because it's almost like Jesus is, is acting out Psalm 107. Let me turn there real quickly in my Bible. Okay. This is Psalm 107:23. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on the great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep, for he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens, they go down to the depths, their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro. They stagger like a drunken man. They are at their wit's end. Then they cry to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet, and he guides them into their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. So you have here in, in Psalm 107, you say you have God saying, it is not a chaos monster who stirs up the waves in the sea. It is God himself who rules over the waves of the sea. He's the one who stirs up the waves and he's the one who calms the waves. And so Jesus comes and he says, I am that God. And he identifies himself with the God of Israel. He identifies himself with Yahweh. I am the one who have, has the authority over the chaos. And I think that's what Jesus wants to say in our lives as well. I am the one who has authority over the chaos. I am the one who has the authority over uh, the natural forces of evil, the things that we are not in control of. And we find ourselves in situations where we're not in control. And Jesus says, I want to speak into those situations. And sometimes in our fear and in our panic, we forget to turn to him. But I laugh because he doesn't just want to get us to a place of calm and safety. That's not his goal by quieting the chaos. His goal is to get us quiet so we can hear his voice. 
And I think that's the beauty of this coming right after the parable of the sower and right after all those references to hear, hear his word, hear his word. He, he can quiet the calm. I mean, he can quiet the chaos so that he can speak into our situation. And then that's exactly what he does to the, to the disciples. So after it's quiet, he turns to them and he says, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And I love this because the word for fearful here is, a, it's called, it's dilos, and it basically is just fear. They are filled with fear. Um, and, uh, and he says, why do you have no faith? And I, was, I looked up the places in Mark where Jesus commends people for their faith. And there are really four places faith is used in a positive way in Mark. And the first one is the paralytic and his friends. And so I, um, the, when Jesus sees the faith of the friends bringing their friend to Jesus, he heals, he forgives the man's sin, and then he heals him. And I was thinking of, I was trying to envision um, Jesus is at Peter's house, and he heals the mother-in-law, and then people start coming to the door, coming to the door with the ones that are sick and wounded. And I can just imagine these four friends on their way home from work, and they see the big commotion going on at Peter's house, and they say, I wonder what's going on. And then they hear cries as people come out, and there's healing that's taking place, and they look at each other, and they say, oh, could he do that for our buddy? I bet he could do that for our buddy. And the next day, they're at, um, they're at the house where Jesus is, and when they can't get in, they do whatever it takes to get their buddy to Jesus. That's the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for in his disciples. The one that, that watches what God can do and said, well, if he can do it for them, he could do it for me. And then the next one is the little woman who suffered with the flow of blood for 12 years. And the text says that when she hears of, um, when she hears about Jesus, she says to herself, if only I may touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. When she hears of Jesus, she comes to him. And Jesus said, the kind of faith I'm looking for is the faith that says, wait a minute, I hear about what Jesus can do. I hear about what he did for my neighbor. And then takes that step, says, I'm going to go and find him. I'm going to go. And I believe that just the merest, the merest touch will bring all the healing that I need. And so then when she does that and reaches out and touches her and Jesus heals her, it, it is he heals her because of her faith, her willingness to expose herself, her willingness to come to Jesus and trust him to meet the needs of her heart. That's the faith Jesus is looking for in his disciples. And then you have the very last miracle, except for the resurrection that takes place in the Gospel of Mark, is the story of blind Bartimaeus. And this may be my favorite story. Jesus is walking down the road, and this is in Mark, in Mark 10, and he, there's a blind man sitting beside the side of the road, and he hears people saying, it's Jesus. Jesus, it's Jesus. And so all of a sudden he start, he stands to his feet and he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he says it over and over and over again until people are trying to get him to be quiet. Shh, shh, shh. And then uh, he keeps shouting, shouting louder and louder. And then finally Jesus turns and they and calls for him. And I love this verse in Mark 10. They say, be of good cheer, he's calling for you. And so Bartimaeus goes to Jesus, and Jesus looks at him and says, What do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus said, My sight. Let me receive my sight. And so Jesus says to him, Your faith has made you whole. Um, be, be healed and go your way. And I love that because instantly Bartimaeus can see. And it's, the text says, And he followed after Jesus. I love that. His way now is Jesus' way. 
And that is the kind of faith Jesus is saying, where we hear that Jesus is coming and we are going to call and we are going to cry. It doesn't matter who hears us. It doesn't matter how many people are annoyed with us. We're going to do whatever it takes to get Jesus' attention to meet our need. And then when he does meet our needs, we're leaving all behind and we're following him. The next story after Bartimaeus is a triumphal entry. And I think that the one leading the charge for the triumphal entry is Bartimaeus. And I think that the one who's, say, who's saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and who's cutting off the palm branches and laying down his garment on the ground is Bartimaeus. I'm leading the charge um, to follow after Jesus. That's the kind of faith that Jesus is looking for in his disciples. And they're sitting at the boat and thinking, who in the world is this? And what have we gotten ourselves into? And how in the world do we respond? The last place in Mark where Jesus talks about faith is in Mark 11. And he's come into the temple. He's come into Jerusalem. And he's passed a fig tree. And the fig tree is not, not producing any figs. And so Jesus curses the fig tree, goes and cleanses the temple. And then on the way back, Jesus... Um, the disciples noticed that the fig tree is all shriveled up. And they said, look, you, you, you cursed it and it shriveled. And Jesus said, and Jesus' words are, have faith in God. If you have faith of as big as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea and it will be done. What you ask of me, I will do. And I love this because this is what Jesus is saying, I think, when you know who I am and you know that my heart and my intention towards you, you can have the attitude that says, of course he's going to answer me. When I was um, a young mama and my 18-year-old um, was five, we were here in this living room and we were cleaning our windows and he was staying on the couch with me next to the window and we lived in an older home it was built in the 1970s and we had old windows and the and and they were hard to open and close and so we were working at it and the window got jammed and i couldn't get the window down so michael was standing there and just out of the blue spontaneously said oh jesus help mom with this window and instantly popped through my mind oh no like how am I going to explain to him that God doesn't always hear those kind of prayers? And how am I going to... And just instantaneously, there was a, um, a moment of hesitation, a moment of uh, doubt in my mind. And, in, and instantly, the next instant, the window slams down. And it was such a dramatic... Like, it had been totally stuck. And it was such a dramatic uh, change that in my, in my son's mind, he said, of course, of course, she's closed the window for mom. And I could, I, he went off to play and I had to stop and worship for a moment because Jesus said to me, faith is great, like, a, like a grain of mustard seed. I'm going to hear it, I'm going to answer it, and I'm going to work to make that grow into something beautiful in your son's life. And he said, I wish your faith was, faith was like that. The faith that says, mom's got a problem. Mom loves Jesus, Jesus loves mom. Of course he's gonna work for her. And that was the faith of my son. And you know, sometimes when I am confronted with a problem, my immediate response is, okay, I gotta pray. Okay, I gotta get under the burden. Okay. But do you know what I think Jesus wants our first response to be? I think he wants us to look up and say, of course, of course Jesus has an answer for this. Of course this isn't too hard for him. Now Jesus, how are you gonna do it and how do you wanna, how do you wanna teach me to pray? And if our first response to him is, his heart towards me is good, his heart towards me is love, then our response simply because becomes, 
course. Of course he's going to do it. That was the response of Bartimaeus, and that's what I think he wants. He wanted the disciples to have that same response in the boat. But the, the disciples, after Jesus speaks to them, the disciples look at one another, and it said they feared exceedingly. And this word for feared is like terror. It's the word phobio. It's, it's a... It's a fear that they don't know they don't know which way to turn. And their question becomes, who can this be? This one that has authority over all the chaos and all all the noise, all the natural world, this one who has all this authority. And Jesus says to them, Jesus says to them, um, and then then the rest of the book of Mark is uncovering who this Jesus is and what he wants to do in our lives. And I think as we open ourselves up and we say to him, Jesus, would you calm the noise in my heart so we can hear your voice and we can go forward without fear, but saying, of course, my father knows. I want to end by reading a prayer. This is a prayer that my my Papa Bear wrote, and I thought it was perfect for us today. Now, Father, it is your word. It's not our own, but you've given it to us. And Father, you are the one our hearts hunger for. We hunger for you more than we hunger for anything else in the world. Let the lies of the devil be removed from our minds and let us know we shouldn't fear you. We should trust you totally, that your way is where our fulfillment lies, and we will give you thanks in Christ's name. If you want to learn more about Titus Women, visit us online at TitusWomen.org.